0: Well, it's a pleasure to be with you all this morning. Um, our family's glad to be here. It's been a couple of years since we've uh, been down here, but we're glad to see you in a, a new building, see God's work among you. Um, if you'd open up your copies of God's Word, your Bibles, to uh, Numbers chapter 6, you can find this on page 157, um, 157 of the, the Pew Bibles there, um, Numbers chapter 6. We're going to be looking at Um, a a benediction. Uh, And uh, this is one of the first benedictions recorded in Scripture. um, If you're being strictly categorical, uh, the the benedictions that are a a good saying, a blessing pronounced upon God's people. This is one of the first ones that we we come to as we read Scripture. Um, And I I think it's helpful for us to spend some time meditating on passages like this. Uh, These might be Some of the, uh, benedictions might be some of the most heard and yet least known or least thought about passages. Um, And so we're going to spend some time considering this this morning. Uh, So we're going to be reading um, Numbers chapter 6 and we'll start in verse 22 and go through the end of the chapter in verse 27. Please do give attention now to God's holy and inspired word. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. Let's... Pray as we consider God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your truth recorded for us in your word, that you give us guidance and insight into how we ought to relate to you and how you relate to us, and we pray that um, these words would not be lost on us, but that we would drink deeply from the well of your truth that your Holy Spirit would be applying these words to our lives and helping us to live out of them. Lord, we ask that you would be moving in and amongst us to draw us closer to you through your word, and that in all these things you might be glorified. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, again, as we consider this benediction, um, uh, this good saying... Um, if you were to break apart benediction into its roots, um, bene or good, and uh, desire or to say, so it's just a, a good saying. Um, but I mentioned it's it's a a blessing that's pronounced upon God's people, and that's important to note because it's not a blessing just to one person. The benedictions that we have and use from Scripture are not directed solely to one person for their blessing and no one else's. But instead, we see reoccurring throughout scripture, uh, this practice of pronouncing a blessing upon God's collective people, upon the children of Israel, as this text says. Um, and we can look to uh, the New Testament for a number of benedictions. Paul gives several in Romans 15 um, and First Corinthians. There's also one at the end of uh, the book of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 13 um, that we could spend time examining and seeing how God is blessing his people and pronouncing a blessing upon them. And you may be familiar with a number of these, again, as they are often pronounced at the end of the worship service. Um, not all churches do that. Not all churches pronounce a benediction at the end. It may seem a little bit formal for the minister to stand up and lift his arms and to recite a, a particular verse at the end of the service. But there's a a real blessing and benefit to doing that. Um, at the end of the service, after the sermon. The reality is that in in the sermon, you've been told uh, what God's word is saying to you. You've been exhorted to go and apply and live out of that truth. And oftentimes, if you're honest with yourself, uh, you probably feel um, very humbled and very ill-fit to apply the truth as you ought to. Um, Whether it be a sermon on humility and you know how prideful your heart is, or if it's on uh, the Ten Commandments and you are reminded of how far short you fall of God's law. And the benediction then is a, a particular blessing because it reminds you that God is not just asking you to live out the law, but it's another reminder of God's grace to you. It's another reminder that God is equipping you with his grace and with his blessing so that you might live out his word. And so then as we look at this particular blessing uh, here in Numbers chapter 6, uh, for a bit of context, uh, in the first part of Numbers chapter 6, God has laid out the, the law of the Nazarite, um, and he's uh, laid out and how to set apart a specific people out of the Israelites um, to, a, to a specific purpose. Um, but then in verse 22 here, uh, God changes direction. Instead of focusing on how to set apart a people out of the the children of Israel. He focuses on how the children of Israel are brought together under his name. And this is significant because God is giving the priests a blessing to proclaim over all of his covenantal people. God had entered into a covenant with the uh, nation of Israel. He was in a particular relationship with them, where they were his people and he was their God. And that relationship then is unfolded and uh, gives us this blessing, that this is not a blessing for those who are not God's people. Um, Very simply put, this is uh, God's blessing to his own people, and implied in that is uh, particular people. God is calling people to himself, gathering people. And as we see it in the Old Testament, we know that to be the the nation of Israel, um, but We know that that was a foreshadowing of the church, of all of God's people. And so this blessing then applies to you just as as much as it did the people of Israel. And because it's for God's people, then it's important to recognize that if you are not part of God's people, for those who are not in that covenant relationship with God, there's not a blessing here, but a curse instead. And so, I would encourage you to see the, the the richness of this text as we study it this morning, um, but also to remember um, that part of the blessing here is that God is showing His favor to you instead of cursing you; that God is uh, being kind and good to His elect out of His good pleasure, uh, not judging the world as as those who are not part of God's people will feel. And so. What I w- hope to accomplish this morning, as we we examine this benediction, is that you'll again understand it better and have a real grasp of the blessing that's pronounced. That it's not just the close of a service that you don't just hear those words and think about what's next, think about uh, what's for lunch, but instead that you meditate on and uh, are feasting upon God's promises to you here. And so first we see that God is blessing you as his covenantal people through his power. God is blessing you as his covenantal people through his power. The beginning of this benediction, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. It's a little bit of an interesting phrase. Lord, keep you. What does that, what does that mean, to keep you? We often think about keeping things. We keep our house in order, or we might uh, keep uh, a collection of different things. But what does it mean to keep people? What does it mean for God to keep you? Well, before we flesh that out, it, it does imply possession. It does imply that you must be gods for God to keep you. God must claim you to be able to keep you. He must have you in his grasp, in his power. And if you are not in God's grasp, then he can't keep you. He can't do what we're going to um, understand keeping means. And so here already, this points to the wonderful doctrines of election and adoption. That part of God keeping you is God choosing you, is God claiming you for himself. It's God making you his own. You see in verse 27 that God tells the priests, God tells Aaron and Moses that this is how the priests shall put my name on the children of Israel. God is naming his people and is calling them his own. Again, this is a reminder of that covenantal relationship that God has made these people his own. And it reminds you that you are named now in Christ. That when you bear the name of Christ, that that carries significance. You belong to God. That when you are baptized, that sign and seal of the covenant, whether or not you you were baptized as a child or as an adult, that you are named as part of God's people. And so we see first God's power in keeping you just by drawing his people to himself that he is able and capable to draw all his people and that none whom he chooses will be outside his power, outside his grasp. What a wonderful blessing this is that no one whom God loves can escape his love. So if God has you, then what does it mean for God to keep you? What does that look like? What does it mean to to keep someone? Someone. Well, I I think it's actually helpful here that the the keeping is left in kind of a a broad and abstract term because elsewhere in Scripture, we see uh, a number of ways in which God keeps his people. This language is all throughout Scripture. We sang it earlier in Psalm 121, that God keeps his people from harm, that he keeps their lives secure. And we understand that not to mean that you will never ever stub your toe or that you will never ever get scratched or fall down or break a bone or that you will always live and never see death, but instead that God is watching over you and God preserves your life. Now in this life, day by day, but but more importantly, eternally, that God keeps your life secure. That when Christ comes again and judges the world, that your life will be kept that you will be kept from judgment. We also understand this to mean that God keeps you from the power of the evil one. We see this richly within the epistles as Paul talks about the the principalities and the powers of the air, the nature of this world, and yet God is able to keep you from that power. God is able to keep you from Satan's grasp. saw that in Job. Satan had to come to God and had to submit to God's power before he was able to touch Job at all. This preservation of the saints is a rich blessing and it is part of how God keeps us. But God also keeps us by keeping us from the curse that we deserve that curse of judgment for our sin. And sure, we feel the effects of sin in this world. We feel the consequences of our sin in our day-to-day life, but ultimately, God keeps us from that eternal judgment because of what Christ has done, because Christ took that covenantal curse for you in order that he might purchase that covenantal blessing. And in all of this we see God's power, that all of his purposes for you, his people, are achieved. That there is nothing that he desires for you that does not come to fruition. And so his power to bless you and to keep you is a rich blessing and is not something to be taken for granted. And one way to look at it is that the blessing here is that God is using his power to do the work, not you. But instead of God asking you to use your supposed power to keep the law, he has done it for you. He keeps you because you can't keep yourself. You cannot keep your soul alive. You cannot keep yourself ultimately from judgment. To do so would be foolishness. But God's power is sufficient to do this for you. If you think about this, uh, I think a helpful illustration could be um, parents with children. My wife and I have a a one-year-old daughter, or almost one-year-old daughter right now, and the reality is she does very little to keep herself from harm. Her fingers are attracted to electrical sockets. She likes to go upstairs not knowing that you can tumble down and bonk your head at the bottom of the stairs. Kids don't really do a whole lot. They don't have the power to keep themselves safe. And so that's where parents come in. Parents have that power. They have that knowledge, that ability to keep their kids alive. And even as kids grow older, parents guide, they counsel, they shepherd their children to help them understand the right way to go, the wise way to go. And in that way, they help keep their children. How much more, then, does your Heavenly Father keep you? How much more does your Heavenly Father, who calls you His children, who adopted you and made you His children, does He keep you? Does He give you counsel through His Word? Does He watch over you and preserve you in thousands of ways that you don't even recognize? Things that you take for granted. That you go on a drive and didn't get in a car wreck. That you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning. God's power is accomplishing all these things for you, his people. And so then, friends, your response ought to be to trust in God to keep you, to dwell richly upon this safety, not just temporally, not just in this life, but eternally, the safety that you have as God's people. And you also ought to glorify God for his power, for his works, for all that he has done. As you see it contrasted with your own weakness, with your own inability, it should move your heart to worship, friends, because as Ephesians tells us, it is not by your works that you were saved. And so as God uses his power to keep you, to work in you, to work for you, it's also important to know that God is not far off. And so then you need to be blessed as God's covenantal people through his presence, through his presence. The blessing isn't just God's power to work in your life, though that would seem enough. If we look at verse 25 see that the blessing here, the benediction is that the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. God blesses you, friends, with himself. He gives of himself that you may know him. As he makes his face shine upon you, or as verse 26 says, as he lifts his countenance upon you. Countenance is just another word for face here. We see that God is giving you himself and instead of turning away from you as he would be perfectly right and just to do because of your sin, to turn his back on his creation that has rebelled against him and to leave us to our own devices, to the judgment we so richly deserve, God shines his face on you. He makes himself known to you both within general revelation, within the world around us, that we can know that there is a God, but more so within Scripture, that God has revealed himself through his word to you, that you might know who he is, that you might know more about him. He makes himself known by covenanting with you, by entering into that relationship with you, by drawing you close this is not a digital transaction where you never see the two parties meet. Oftentimes, if you're buying something on Amazon, you, you don't know who the seller is. You don't know who's packaging up your, your products and putting them in a box and shipping them. You just enter your credit card information, and a few days later, you might get a product. This is not that kind of transaction. This is a relationship that God enters into. where He draws you close and says, come. Meet with me. Come, be my people. And we see this especially, that God makes himself known to you through the person, through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It was not sufficient for God just to give his word that you might know about him. But God sent his son God made man that people might know and interact with Christ, that Christ might minister to people, might show his love in very tangible ways. See this in John 1. The word was made flesh. God makes himself known and shines his face upon you through Christ. And this making a face to shine, I think, is important language. It's not just that God shows his face to you. It's not just that God reveals his face to you, but it's that God shines his face upon you. Think about it. If if I were to say that someone's face was shining or beaming, what does that convey? What is the, the sense that you get of that? Where have you seen that before? great example might be a wedding. Some advice that was given to me a number of years ago when uh, many of my friends started getting married and I was going to weddings, somebody said, well, when the bride comes in, don't look at the bride. Look at the groom's face. Look at the groom's face and see the joy, the radiant joy on the groom as he sees his bride-to-be walking down the aisle that sense of joy, that beaming, that radiance that comes from such a deep love. That is the Lord's face shining upon you. We see that even more as we anticipate the wedding supper of the Lamb, where Christ comes again and his church will be presented as his bride. And we can only imagine the joy, the radiance on Christ's face as he sees his church presented to him blamelessly. Friends, that is what it means for God to shine his face upon you, to lift up his countenance towards you. And that's such a blessing, especially as we consider what the other option is, that God shines his face upon you in judgment. We all know uh I have seen that face either as children or I've made that face as parents. You can be smiling at your child, enjoying time with them, and then they disobey. And that beaming, smiling face all of a sudden becomes very stern. My son knows that look when I open my eyes wide, raise my eyebrows, and I'm not smiling. He knows that this is serious. That he might just be in trouble. And so as God shines his face on you, recognize the blessing of God's not shining his, or showing his judgment face towards you. His face of judgment and of wrath. And so as you reflect on this blessing of God's presence, of God shining his face upon you, then know that God has joy in you being part of his people. That that shining, that radiance, that beaming, that lifting up his countenance upon you is out of a heart of joy and love. God is not ambivalent to you being part of his people. He rejoices when you are part of his people. But also know then that God will not turn his face away from you. That God will not hide himself from you. That God will not turn his face and turn his back to you. That ultimate rejection. But instead, he will shine his face on you. And then also glorify God as you see perfection in his presence. As you meet with God. As you feel the warmth of his love through his word. Through your times with him. Through his worship, glorify God in return because to know God better is to know perfection better. And that is surely worth praising. So God blesses us. He blesses us through his power and keeping us, making us his. He blesses us through his presence, which reminds us of his love and of his grace. But God also blesses you, his covenant people, through his peace. Through his peace. God has used his power to make you his, to keep you as his people. God has given himself to you in a covenant relationship. In the revelation in the person of Christ. And after Christ ascended in the work and person of the Holy Spirit. And so if God has done all this for you, his people, then know that God gives you peace, too. It's fitting that the end of this benediction, as it builds through God blessing you and keeping you, God showing himself to you, ends with God giving you peace. In verse 26, the result of God blessing you through his power and blessing you through his presence should not be anxiety. It should not be worry. It should not be anything but peace. And you can have peace if you're not trying to save yourselves but trusting in God's salvation. You can have peace if you realize that you are never alone but that God is always with his people. You see, peace is that capstone to God's covenantal love. Peace is the result of knowing who God is and what he has done for you personally. That result, then, is wonderful. That peace that surpasses understanding as we were considering earlier in Sabbath school, in the adult Sabbath school class, contentment. That rare jewel of Christian contentment. And the reality that we don't need to know why. And part of why we don't need to know why is because we know the God who is in control loves us. We know that he has the good of his people at heart as Romans 8 says, that God uses all things for the good of his people. And so to know why any particular event happens, to know how to be content in any given circumstance becomes much easier. We can have peace when we remember who God is. That love bears that fruit, friends. It's like if you were to take uh, an incredibly hard math final, which I know that there's a number of math folks who could probably ace it, but but let's say Dr. Noel was crafting one of his craziest, hardest finals for you. I personally would be very scared. I, I would be uh, ill fit to take such a math exam. And so... If I were to go in, even after I'd studied, even after I had tried to prepare for that final, to walk into the room where I'm about to take that test, and have Dr. Knoll say, no, it's all right. A guy named Einstein came in, and he took the test for you. You're, you're good to go. The sense of peace, the sense of relief that I would have at that moment, I'm questions of time and space continuum aside, to, to, to know that somebody else had taken that test who was much better fit to do that than I. What a relief. What a blessing. Or parents, if you've ever had your kids lost in a crowd, maybe you're at a store or you're at a, an amusement park or a zoo, and, and all of a sudden you turn around and your kids aren't where they're supposed to be the weight of that, knowing that they are all of a sudden not safe. But then when they're found again, the peace, the peace of knowing that those children are safe, that is the peace that you can have, friends, in Christ. Because you don't have to take the exam of, on righteousness on your own. Christ has done it for you. Christ has paid that penalty, bore that judgment so that you don't have to try. You don't have to try and pass that exam of perfect righteousness. And Christ has found you. Christ keeps you safe. So friends, have peace through God's blessing. And we've mentioned it throughout, but I want you to particularly see how Christ fulfills all All of this blessing for you, his people. I want you to see and believe and even own this blessing, to recognize that this is your blessing. This is not something far off, this is not something abstract. Christ has the power to keep you, his people, as he prayed in his high priestly prayer. When he prayed to God for his disciples, when he talked, and he said, in um, excuse me, in verse, starting in verse ten, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those who you have given me. That they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That is Christ's prayer for you, friends. That is Christ's work and power in keeping you for his purposes and for eternal life. But again, we see. Christ has done this in giving you his own presence, giving you the Holy Spirit. In John 16, just a chapter earlier, verses 5 and following, Christ promises that he will send the helper, that he will send himself, his own spirit, to keep his people, to be with his people. Christ not only worked out your salvation, he walks with you through His Holy Spirit day after day after day. And we also see that Christ again brings you peace. John 14, verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Christ goes on to talk about the place that he is preparing for people. Christ has earned that eternal peace for you, secure in heaven with God by his death on the cross and his resurrection and his conquering of death what have we left to fear now that death has been conquered? So friends, when you hear this blessing, this covenantal blessing for you, God's people, from number six, don't gloss over it. Don't discard it and think, okay, what's next? But instead, meditate on it, reflect upon it, dwell richly in this wonderful truth and glorify God for the blessings that He has shown to you. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you, for you are a good God. And you are not just good because you show kindness to us, but your goodness is surely shown by the kindness, the love, the mercy, the grace that you show to your people. Lord, we we are in awe of your perfection, that all your attributes are without flaw, that you lack nothing, and yet you desire to make us your people, that you purchased our salvation, our redemption with the blood of Christ, Lord, as we see these blessings that you have promised come to fruition in Christ, and as we meditate upon them day after day, move our hearts to glorify you all the more. Give us the peace that you promise that we might not be anxious in this world, but that we might rest secure in the knowledge that you are our Father and you care for us. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to live in a way that glorifies you as we are not worried about our own lives, or our own selves, but instead that we can turn our attention to proclaiming the majesties of your glory to the whole earth over. We do pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we respond to God's word, We would uh, turn to Psalm 91, Selection A. See, wrapped up in many of the psalms, as we've already considered this morning, um, but in this one in particular, the the wonderful peace that we can have being God's people. We don't need to fear uh, the deadly pestilence. We don't need to fear man, that we can know that we find shelter with God Most High. Let's go ahead and we'll... Stand to sing that and remain standing for the benediction.